Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teaching from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by our sermon series, Difference Makers, Women Chosen by God. Learn with us about how often overlooked women make a difference in the world around them through the power of God. Find out more about this or any of our sermons at www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. Again, great to see you again. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 25. Um, as you're going there, I hope you're enjoying this series on God's choice in uh, the, the special women throughout the scriptures. I'm going to skip winter for a moment, okay? Because Lord knows I want to skip winter. It's coming. I'm ready to jump over it already uh, and get to spring. Um, I read an, actually an article on NewJersey.com, and the whole article was about how long it's taking to get to the cold weather. And I thought, who, who writes this stuff? Who even publishes this? I went to the, I love reading comments, and people just writing, this is the dumbest article I've ever read in my life. Keep the heat around, please. It's been beautiful out. But I want to skip the spring, because in spring is when, uh, at the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, where I minister with Tom Simcox, uh, who uh, goes here to, at Graceway, um, we get really busy during Passover, and one of the things that uh, I always like to highlight when I'm, whenever I'm leading believers through a Passover Seder, when we do Christ in the Passover, is right away at the very beginning, when you get to that first part where you're about to get going in the Passover, the, uh, the, the, the husband invites the wife up to light the candles. Has anybody ever done a Passover Seder before? A Christian uh, Christ in the Passover? Okay, good. We, we need to do one of those together. I'm sure Tom will do one or whatever. If you've never done a Passover, you've got to join us for one, especially as it's leading up to, to uh, Resurrection Day. But you know, when you're getting to this place where you're about to start the Passover, the, the leader of the Passover, the husband, the, or it could be the grandfather, it's usually a family setting, calls up the wife to light the candles and say a blessing. And it's interesting because the rabbis actually say this about the woman. If there is no woman present at that Passover, cancel the Passover. She is the one who brings the light into the Passover. She lights the candles. And without her, there is no point to the Passover Seder. So just cancel it, go home, or go find somebody else to celebrate it with where there is a woman. Can I tell you something? You know, we live in the 21st century uh, and I think we can often get skewed in, in our, uh, the world can get skewed in the outlook of the Bible. But when it comes to the Bible, our God has always been countercultural. Do you know that? Do you know that your Bible elevated women long before women were ele ever, ever elevated in culture? You have a book in your Bible called Ruth. Do you know that? Ruth isn't even Jewish. And she has a book in the Bible. I want you to think about this. 400 years ago, Shakespearean plays, the women, the, 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 the people who played women in Shakespearean plays, do you know who they were? They were men. Women couldn't be a part of the play. Men played women. See, they were dealing with issues back then like that too, okay? See, there is this, even 400 years ago, we're talking about Ruth. When you go back thousands of years, God is giving an entire book to a woman who is not even Jewish. Who is the one who brings the light into the world, the actual light into the world? God chooses what? A faithful woman. 
who understood that God's favor was being poured out on her, Mary. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. The real movers and shakers of the scriptures, they're women. They're the ones driving the story forward. And even Paul acknowledges that. Our God is a counter-cultural God. He's always been that way. Whenever you hear someone say, oh, the Bible demeans women, the Bible puts women down, put, no way, what are you talking about? You challenge that. God has elevated women, put women in positions. Women are brave. They are full of strength, character, wisdom, insight, leadership, all throughout the scriptures. God's been using them from the very beginning to put men to shame, as we're about to see here in 1 Samuel 25, in order to push forward the story of redemption. That's women in the Bible. So, you know what? I get tired of hearing this over and over again from people about how women are second-class citizens. They're not. God uses women throughout the scriptures. I always like to get on my soapbox about that whenever I do my Passover Seder, because without the women in the scriptures and without women in our lives today, men are hopeless. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We're all done, everybody. You can go home now, okay? First Samuel chapter 25. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the women in our lives. Thank you for our mothers. Thank you for our daughters. Thank you for our grandmothers. Thank you for the way that they minister to us in grace and compassion. And as we're going to see here today, Lord, wisdom. Lord, thank you for the way that they drive forward the story, your plan, Lord. You don't choose men over women. You see us equally, Lord, accomplishing a task to get done. There are orders that you've set in place, but it never diminishes the value of women in the scriptures. Lord, you've been using them from the very beginning, and may we see from this portion of scripture today, from Abigail, a woman of grace and wisdom, how she helped move forward the life of King David in a positive way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, 1 Samuel 25. We're going to go through this because I, I love this story. I loved reading this story again as I was preparing it. You know, I love preaching on stories from the Old Testament because I think they come to life and they teach us a lot about who we are. You know, I actually have titled this message, Leave It to Abigail, because everything else was falling apart. Uh, so let's just leave it to Abigail. When you get done with this story, you're like, Abigail for president. Okay, that's what you're thinking when you get done with this story. So let me go ahead and, and begin this because this is an important little tidbit that gets dropped. You always have to pay attention to the story as it's unfolding. Whenever you're reading Old Testament narrative, can I just tell you something? You always want to make sure that you're seeing the transitions happen. We're all geared to watch movies. We love movies. I love watching movies. I love watching TV shows. Whenever a camera pans or a camera moves or it goes to a different scene, you know something's happening, and it's for a reason. The scriptures are the same way. Something is happening. Something is moving, and cameras are panning from point to point to give us a perspective. And so I want you to see here. Watch what it says right up front. It says, Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home. This is in verse 1 and 2. Uh, in verse 1, uh, they buried him in his home in Ramah, and then David moved down into the desert of Paran. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. 
this is going to play an important role because David, David's biggest fan, as we're going to see this story unfold, David's biggest fan is Samuel. And the reason why is because Samuel knew that God had anointed him king. You know, David and Jesus have a lot in common. They, I mean, honestly, the parallels between David and Jesus are almost amazing. Right from the very beginning, do you know why Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Well, we know Micah 5.2 says the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, but why Bethlehem? That's where David was from. King David comes from Bethlehem. You see how the, 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 the God is trying to connect uh, Jesus to David and David to Jesus in some way, and you see a lot of interesting things unfolding. And, you know, the book of 1 Samuel is the story. I actually like to compare it to Jesus' ministry in the Gospels. You know, Jesus comes as, the humble king, as a humble king. He, he, remember he says the great line, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That is a big phrase. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I don't have a castle. I don't have a home. I am going from place to place. I don't have a big following. I'm not your normal-looking king right now. You know, foxes have places to go, but the Son of Man, that's the King of Israel, he's got nowhere to go. David in 1 Samuel is like Jesus in the Gospels. He, has no, he doesn't have a castle. He doesn't have a throne that he's sitting on yet. In fact, he's running and hiding from King Saul. And so you see this interesting uh, uh, narrative playing out because now Sam, uh, 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 David loses his greatest advocate, the one who knows that he's been anointed the king of Israel. He knows he's set to sit on the throne after Saul's death. Samuel's the one who did it. Samuel's the one behind him, and now he's gone. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see for a moment Abigail pick up the baton for a second. That's why this plays an important role because Abigail's going to be the one to almost uh, fulfill what Samuel was doing to be on David's side, to advocate for David for a moment. And, and you're going to see that worked out as well. So again, you, you, you're, you're seeing this story move forward because only in a couple chapters you're going to see Saul die and then boom, David is going to become the king who sits on the throne. David almost has a first coming and a second coming. His first coming in the, in the book of 1 Samuel, and then a second coming when he finally becomes the king, rules over uh, Israel, first from Hebron, and then from Jerusalem, where he sets up and establishes his throne. Almost the picture of Jesus coming the first time, and then Jesus coming the second time as the king who sits on the throne. So there's, these, again, these interesting little parallels. But let's get to... Abigail. Look, look what it says here. A certain man, verse 2, a man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had thousands of goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. And his name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and beautiful, wise and beautiful. Uh, some of your texts might say, a wise and beautiful woman. But her husband was uh, surely and mean in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. Okay, so it's interesting here because we focus in on Abigail for a moment, and Abigail is the only woman in the Bible who gets these two titles of wise or great intellect and beautiful. So she's the only one who's kind of set apart here. You kind of get a picture of who she is. Again, uh, the writer of 1 Samuel set us, setting us up for success for Abigail. She's, she's got wisdom. She, she, she's got strength. Uh, she, she's beautiful. But her husband, mm. you know, I mean, it's right there. 
It's right there. You don't have to, again, you don't have to do, be a great theological uh, scholar to deal with the issues here. He is a fool. And he is uh, a mean man. And he's a wealthy man. And he probably walks around like he owns the world, which we're going to see in a minute. And so while David was in the wilderness, verse 4, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. Now, this is going to be important because let me set up the backstory here. Uh, this is kind of in the wilderness area. Uh, it's kind of in between Jerusalem and Hebron, if you ever get on your map and look around. So this is down uh, in where, where he is in Maon and Carmel. It's kind of where David is hiding out and running from Saul. And David had some followers with him. He had, he had a, 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 a band of people that were with him as he was hiding out from Saul. They, they pledged their allegiance to David as the king of Israel. And David was providing some protection for the local people in that area. Uh, remember, they didn't have like local police back then. They didn't have detectives back then. They didn't have a police department. They didn't have an FBI in those days. And so David would you, take his men and provide safety for certain people. And, and so David's men were providing safety for people in the area. And some of those people you're going to see in a moment were, were Nabal's men that were working for him. And this guy's really rich. I mean, 3,000 sheep, and it's shearing time. Now, you might not think anything of shearing time, but in Israelite culture, shearing time was a festivity. When it came time to shear the sheep, I mean, I, I, I hate to say this, but they would drink a ton and eat a ton and just celebrate a ton as they're shearing sheep. And I'm sure you're thinking, what is this all about, you know? Today, look at today. We go to Walmart or wherever, and you just pick up a thing off the, the the rack. You know, you don't even think about the clothes you buy. You don't think about where they're made. You know, you don't think about. You just show up. You're like, ooh, beautiful. I love that. And you, it's in your closet. And then what? It ends up at Goodwill a couple years later. It just, it's a cycle. Okay, that's what we do because we're spoiled people in our culture. In the ancient day, look, when you would shear sheep, this is everything. This is what's going to make your rugs. This is what's going to make your tents. This is what's going to make your clothes. This is what's going to help make your shoes. This is like everything. So it's a celebration because finally God's providing in, in many ways, not just the food, but also the thing that we're going to clothe ourselves with. So it's shearing time, which means when it's shearing time, there's a lot of food. There's a lot of drink. There's a lot of celebration. And so David goes, hmm. This is a great time for my guys to get a little food. Look what it says here. While David was in the wilderness, verse 4, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 of his young men, his servants, and he said to them, Go to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health, shalom to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Shalom, shalom, shalom. That's what he's saying, okay? Maybe yours doesn't say health. Maybe it says peace. Uh, now, I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your, sheep, when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. As the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Uh, ask your own servants and they will tell you, therefore be favorable toward my men since we did come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find them. So David's kind of being funny here because David jumps right in. He's like, I think he's assuming that Nabal knew that his men were protecting his shepherds. And so he says, hey, look, my guys were with your guys. We never mistreated you. 
We didn't steal anything. We didn't take any of your sheep to eat. We didn't take any of your tools. We didn't take it, steal anything. We were honest, upright. We did the right thing, and we're hungry right now. Hey, will you feed us? We know you've got some leftovers. Come on. There's a lot of food. It's like Thanksgiving. Help us out here. We're starving, okay? And so look what happens. He, he is hoping that through the goodwill that he presented to Nabal and his men, his, his employees, that maybe Nabal would, resp would respond positively. In fact, can I just say this? In Middle Eastern culture, it was very typical to share. You know, sharing even in the Middle East goes on today. If you, if you, when you go to Israel, it's the most fascinating culture to me because you'll meet somebody and within three minutes, they invite you to their home for dinner. I, I remember when I grew up, my mom, I would say, hey, can so-and-so come over for dinner? Mm, let's schedule that for like a month from now, okay? Like, you, you know, it was like, we need to put that on the calendar. In Israel, it's amazing. In the Middle East, too, it's not just Israel. It's a Middle Eastern culture that exists even today. That sharing, hospitality, kindness, even to strangers, is very, very common. You'd be invited over someone's house in a moment, and you'd be eating with somebody's family. It's amazing. So I think David was anticipating a positive response here. But look what happens. It goes on. Um, verse 9. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. So they stood there for a moment. Verse 10, Nabal answered David's servants. This is, this is so funny. I, I, listen to this. Who is David? Okay, who's David? All right. Now listen, to his benefit, Saul is king. And, and I actually think Nabal's response is a, is a response that might have gone through his head, but still, it's atypical of the culture at that time to not share, especially if something positive happened to his people. So look what it says here. It says, uh, Nabal answered, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread, my water, my meat that I slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Okay. David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. And David said this to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with supplies. Okay, so we have one guy that's going, nah, I'm not going to feed you guys. Sorry, I'm not interested. And look what David is willing to do. David is acting a fool. Now, you might go, well, wait a minute. Maybe he's, you know, he's, he's the king. He's the anointed king, and this guy's disobeying him. Can I, can I tell you something? If you actually jump back, and we don't have time to do this, but if you actually jump back to chapter 24, you see a different David. Do you remember the story of David when he was in, in Gedi? And he was hiding from Saul, and Saul was looking for him, and Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. And that's when David was in the cave, in the dark, and David could have snuck up and done what? Killed him. But he didn't. What did he do? Do you remember? He, that's right. He cut off a piece of his robe and said, I could have killed you, but I didn't, because I wouldn't do this to the Lord's anointed. David practiced patience. David practiced kindness. David was waiting on God to be the judge, 
not him. And then all of a sudden you flip the page and David's rallying his troops. Get your swords. We're going to battle against this fool for not paying us or not giving us food. And he's willing to kill everyone, every man over it. Lord's, Saul is chasing him, wanting to kill him. Uh, I'm only going to cut your robe just to show you. Ha, ha, ha. I'm going to be patient and wait on God. Next chapter, let's kill them all because I'm starving. Okay, maybe he was a little hangry, okay? So look what it says. Everybody kind of understands a little hangry in their life. Okay, but look what it says here. It goes on. One of the servants came, comes to Abigail. Abigail to the rescue. Because this is turning into a nightmare. Again, look at the men. Sorry, men. This is a time for women to receive praise because men, things are falling apart. One guy goes, who's this David? I'm not even wasting my time. David goes, everyone, get your swords. We're going to fight. And it's all falling apart. And then Abigail gets word. Listen to this. It says, one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings but he hurled insults at him. Why? Because he's Nabal, a fool. Yet these men were very good to us. David's men were good to us. They did not mistreat us. The whole time we were out in the fields working for Nabal, nothing went missing. Night and day, David's men were a wall around us. The whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master, that's Nabal, and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Listen, this is a life lesson chapter here, and you got to start finding who you are in this story. Honestly. You know, when I read this, you start to pick out, okay, where am I? You ever do that in the Bible? Where am I in here? Lord, who, who, who am I? Am I? Am I a fool like Nabal? Uh, do I get so angry that no one wants to talk to me? I'm so foolish, so, so uh, misspoken, so brash that no one even wants to talk to me? Well, that's not a good attitude to have. Do I want to be like David, who honestly, you can see it, is just responding in anger? We're going to play this out in a minute, but look what it says here. No one even wants to talk to him, Abigail. Verse 18, I love this. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, four sayas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisin. Oh, honestly, only a woman could do this, okay? A hundred cakes of raisin, 200 men. Just imagine the guys running around the grocery store trying to find all this stuff. Impossible! Impossible! They could do it, but it would not be quickly. David's men would have come in, killed everybody, and the guy would have showed up with the groceries like, is this where, is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this it? Too late, buddy. I'm sorry. 200 cakes of grain, pressed figs, loaded them on the donkeys, and then she told her servants, go ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there was David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said this. It's been useless. This is David talking now. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his mission, uh, nothing, of his, uh, 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 nothing of his was missing. 
He was paid, he paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all uh, who belong to him. Wow, that's a lot to put on your head, David. David is acting in anger. David's no different than Nabal in this situation. And then here comes Abigail. Look at this. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David. With her face to the ground, she fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention to my Lord, that's Nabal, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool. And it does. Nabal means fool. My husband's a fool. That's what she's saying. And folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. I did not see the guys that you sent. I apologize. Verse 26. And now, my Lord, as surely as Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your God lives, and as you live, since Yahweh, the Lord, has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be a gift to the men who follow you. Verse 28, look, please forgive me your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Abigail saves the day. Can I tell you something? Abigail is exactly right. David was about to go kill innocent life. Do you know that? In David's anger, he was going to commit a sin against God, a wrongdoing, blood guilt. He was going to kill innocent people because he was angry. That's not a leader. That's a fool. That's an angry, angry man. And Abigail is standing in between two people, her husband who's a fool and an angry man, and in grace. Do you see the grace? You talk about a woman of grace, in grace, in strength, in bravery. She goes before the king of Israel and says, certainly you're the king. She's speaking like Samuel. You're the king. Oh, God's going to give you a dynasty. I know it. it it's written on the walls. We know. We're, I'm following you. My allegiance is to you, David. Don't listen to my foolish husband. Who is David? Come on, he's an idiot. I know who you are. Here's some food. We're sorry we didn't know. It's a misunderstanding. And with her grace and understanding and compassion and her gift, what happens? She begins to, what, alleviate the tension in the room. She's a mediator. The Jewish people call her a prophetess. Look at this, verse 29. Even, as, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the, uh, by the Lord your God, but, he, uh, but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away from the pocket of a sling. He's just trying to say God's going to protect you and get rid of your enemies, like my husband, okay? And it's coming. When the Lord has fulfilled my Lord, I know there's a lot of Lords here, but you got to look at the capital L-O-R-D and the lowercase L-O-R-D. Capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. 
lowercase l-o-r-d adonai adonai just means sir it's if somebody that you respect and honor and deserves your reverence in some way or your dignity your, your, your dignity your honor uh your respect you call them adonai sir if, if you see you know whether you like the governor or not you say sir he's your governor you give him the respect that's due for the title that's due okay that's the idea adonai means sir and so the, it's either lowercase lord or uppercase lord it's either yahweh or yahweh servant the king of israel lowercase and so look what it says here so sometimes it gets confusing when the lord has uh fulfilled uh fulfilled for my lord every good thing he promised concerning and appointed him ruler over israel my lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself and when the lord your god has brought my lord's success remember your servant she's talking about herself she's saying i know you're going to the throne i know you're going to be king is this really what you want to do david is this what you want to do kill innocent life over some food is this the burden that you want to carry as you're on the march to rule the people of israel let me speak a little wisdom into your life david don't do it grace wisdom honor dignity it's just flowing from abigail's mouth and look what it does to david look what it says here <coughs> David said to Abigail, verse 32, praise be to Yahweh. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to me today. May you be blessed for your good judgment. Amen. And for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been alive uh, by break, uh, daybreak. And David accepted what the gift that she said and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Nabal the fool, literally fool. I pulled out some passages from wisdom literature so that maybe you can begin to think about who you are. Can I tell you something? We're all fools. If you leave here today and you think, I'm not a fool. I'm sorry, I, you're a fool. I'm a fool. I've done foolish things. Uh, maybe you're, you might go, I'm not an angry person. Well, maybe you're not all angry all the time, but we have anger in us, and we sometimes respond to anger. And you know what? Sometimes we're the Abigail. But I want to read some wisdom literature to you, because this is all about wisdom. Abigail's wisdom that saved the day. Look what it says here, Proverbs 18, 6 and 7. This is Nabal the fool. The lips of fools, Nabal, the lips of Nabal, that's what it says in Hebrew. The lips of fools bring them strife. Oh, Nabal was bringing some strife on them. And their mouths invite a beating. It was about to invite a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. Isaiah 32, 6, for fools speak folly. Who's David? Who's the son of Jesse? Where are these guys from? That's a fool to say that. Fools speak folly. Their hearts are bent on evil. They practice ungodliness and spread error concerning the Lord. The hungry they leave empty, 
and from the thirsty they withhold water. Man, that sounds like it's coming right from the story of Nabal, David, and Abigail. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up, anybody? Anger. Oh, interesting. So a harsh word stirs up anger. Well, let's find out David, the angered, the angry guy. Proverbs 14.29, whoever is patient and has great, understand, uh, has great understanding, <laughs> that, that's Abigail, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Oh, David was quick-tempered. Proverbs 29.22, an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. David was about to commit many sins that day for being hot-tempered. Ecclesiastes 7.9, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. James 1.20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. David, is this really what you want to do on your way up to being the king of Israel? Do you really want the unrighteousness, the sin of murder on your shoulders as you're looking to become the king of Israel? James 1.20, anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. But then there's Abigail, the woman full of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know what Abigail did? She feared the Lord. Feared? Like scared? No. Respected. Respected the Lord. Honored the Lord. Loved the Lord. She knew what the Lord wanted. She saw everything clearly. It was clear for her. She wasn't a fool like her husband. She wasn't angry like David. She had clarity over the situation, and through her grace, and her understanding and her wisdom and knowledge that was rooted in the Lord and what the Lord was trying to accomplish through David, she brought what? She brought patience. She brought understanding. And she brought down the level of foolishness and anger because of what she did. Why? Because first she feared the Lord, and that brought wisdom. Proverbs 31. Y'all know Proverbs 31, right? Listen to this. Proverbs 31, 26, and 27. It practically speaks of Abigail. I was actually reading this entire thing and thinking, I wouldn't be surprised if Proverbs 31 is built on the story of Abigail. I wouldn't be surprised one bit. A woman of intellect, a woman of uh, entrepreneurship, a woman who it, it loves her family, uh, understands her family. Her husband looks great in the gate, and he is like successful. And uh, and every every guy's like, "How did you do this?" The Lord, I get you know. No, it's because of the woman of Proverbs 31. And look what it says here: she speaks with wisdom. Proverbs 31. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Proverbs 2, 6 through 8 and 12 and 15 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success 
in store for the upright. He is the shield to those who walk uh, in blamelessness, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of the faithful ones. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in, pers- uh, in, in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are de- devious in their ways. Wisdom will save you. Proverbs 19, 8 The one who gets wisdom loves life. The one who cherishes understanding will soon prosper. And Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. For a champion of fools suffers harm. Who do you want to walk with in this story? I want to walk with Abigail. I'm like, Abigail, teach me your ways, you know. She saw with clarity what was going on. She saved her husband's life. Think about it. She, I don't know what her relationship was with her husband. I don't fully understand it. Clearly she knows he's a fool. But she could have just gone, eh, I don't care. I'm a wealthy woman. I'm just going to sit back and in the bread of my idleness, let what happens, happen. Nope, she acted and she saved her husband's life from David. Now, you're going to see in a moment that it doesn't end too well for him. But even in her clarity and her wisdom and her understanding and her knowledge, she also saves David and brings him to a place of wisdom and understanding. Abigail, think about this, Abigail rubbed off on David. Did you ever think about that? A wise person isn't just somebody who's wise. A wise person has the ability to change another person. David's life was changed because of Abigail. I want to end with this as I close. Nabal is a fool. That's what his name means, fool. David was angry. His name doesn't mean angry, but you're going to see that in David's. David's going to struggle his whole life with, with issues. Anger is one of them. Uh, uh, lust, we know, pops up. It's one of the reasons I love the Bible so much is it never hides anybody's sins. David, his life is laid bare, and you see the foolishness and the immaturity of David in this story. But do you know what Abigail means? Abigail means my father delights. My father rejoices. My father has joy. You know, I really believe that when we exhibit godly wisdom, it does a few things. It changes other people's lives. When you exhibit integrity and honor and and respect that comes straight from Proverbs, that comes straight from Ecclesiastes, that comes straight from the Psalms, when you exhibit those things, it is not just words and actions that you're doing. They rub off on other people and can change people for the good. When you live a life of wisdom, as you fear the Lord. But you know what else it does? It brings delight. It brings joy. It it brings rejoicing to who? To our Father. This is his wisdom. This is not the way God wanted things to work out. This isn't what what, what God intended for man to do. But yet Abigail steps in the middle 
and with her strength and her wisdom and understanding brings clarity and fixes the issue. Listen to, I'm going to end here. Listen to what Dave, David says. He says this, uh, then David accepted from her hand, verse 35, what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house uh, uh, holding a banquet like that of a king. He was high in spirits and very drunk. So she, uh, she told him nothing until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept my servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. And then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. And Abigail became his wife. But, but can I just say something? Abigail understood, and eventually David did too, that you can't be the judge of everything. Nabal tried to be the judge to figure out what was right and wrong, and he was a fool and failed. David tried to be the judge to execute judgment the way he wanted to execute judgment, and he failed. But Abigail understood God is judge. Just read Psalm 711. You can never forget it, 711, okay? Psalm 711. God is our righteous judge. And you know what? When left into the hands of God, things work out the way that God intends them to. Nabal did receive his punishment for, for isolating and pushing away the anointed one, King David. But notice, David remains blameless. David remains innocent. And yet God remains the judge for the things that are right and wrong. That's what wisdom is. That's what godly wisdom is, understanding what's right and what's wrong. And Abigail stepped right into the middle of the chaos and brought wisdom, understanding, patience, kindness, and what? Wisdom. Lord, may we bring wisdom. What's going on in your life today where you're stuck in the middle? where you've got pressure over here, a fool, or maybe an angry person. What kind of wisdom are you bringing to the situation? Have you asked God for wisdom? Maybe you're the angry person. Hey, this is a great time to say, Lord, forgive me. I can be changed. You can walk out today a changed person. Forgive me, Lord. Maybe you're the fool and you're speaking foolish words. Hey, can I tell you something? That's okay. That's the grace of God. Turn to him, repent, and ask for what? Wisdom clarity, understanding, just as Abigail brought. Father, give us wisdom, the wisdom of Abigail, a woman who looked to your truth and calmed a storm, Lord, with her kindness. Lord, we look to you during these difficult times, and we know that you can use us to bring wisdom and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, 
www.gracewaybc.org and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.